0: warm welcome to you tonight. Very glad that you're here at Christ Church spending this evening with us. It's a good time to be together as family and friends from all around the world. And in that spirit, this year we are raising funds as a Christmas appeal for all of the children that we support through our outreach efforts both the mothers with children zero to three years of age in Washington Heights and our partner church in Cartagena Colombia that is located in a desperately poor neighborhood. Tonight's offering will be dedicated to this purpose and there are other ways you might contribute that you'll find located in your program. We hope that in the spirit of Christmas that you would find this an opportunity to express your commitment to the child of Bethlehem. You know, friends, like many Christian households at this time of year, decorating the Christmas tree was an important time for the Baumans over the decades. I'm now in my, get this, 32nd year here at Christ Church, and my children grew up in New York and they both live in Brooklyn and they're 35 and 37. So our Christmas was formed by growing up in New York and you know it's a it's a rather odd activity really when you think about it here in the middle of the most densely populated urban environment in the United States Thousands of truckloads of cut evergreens are hauled into the city, cramming the narrow sidewalks before cramping limited apartment space and upon which all manner of peculiar things are hung. Kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? We've mostly lost track of why this is done or what religious meanings can be attached to this annual routine. If I were, for instance, to ask you why exactly you decorate a tree at this time of year, what sort of answer would you come up with? And would there be any mention of spiritual associations? As you likely know, the roots of the practice are anchored in pagan sources eventually adopted by German Christians as emblematic of the promise of life in the midst of winter, the whole evergreen thing. Jesus, the Eternal Life, capital L, became the Christian idea overlaid on the pagan rituals. And it was Queen Victoria who first brought a tree into the royal palace for her children, festooning it with presents dangling from the limbs. That was the historic marker when ancient rituals concerning gifts and trees and Christmas smashed together, forever capturing what would become the economic engine of Western capitalism. (laughs) None of this was on anyone's mind when the tree in Rockefeller Center lit up. And of course, we're likely, at least modestly or vaguely aware of how the decorated tree has culturally retreated back to its pagan origins as a holiday tree, marking the winter solstice and the ending of the year. But regardless, it's now an ingrained habit everywhere across our land. I know from several rabbi friends I have that something called the Hanukkah bush has invaded the households of many Jews who have no special devotion to the baby Jesus. My wife, Melissa, says the tradition in her non-religious childhood family involved decorating an artificial lemon tree, a trippy Southern California version. (laughs) Still, most of us Christians have deep attachments to this practice. I made a record of one particular Christmas now more than 20 years ago I'm thinking my then 14-year-old daughter said to me very energetically, out of the blue, that when she arose in the morning and came home in the afternoon, she couldn't wait to see the tree. The tree made her feel good, she said. And I realized it had come to symbolize an aspect of deep human need, Something about place and belonging and connectedness and identity and so on. The ritual of decorating the tree during those years made me aware of this. Typically, I unpacked the motley assortment of ornaments and laid them all out on the dining room table. Many were gifts we had received over the years. Others, the kids had made at various stages along the way. Some had dates and names on them. Most of the favorites were battered and unpretentious, but each had a history and a story to tell. And as we hung them, we retold the stories to one another, sometimes quarreling over whom had the honor that year to place any given treasured object. After hanging many and laughing about our history during a momentary silent pause that same year, my son quietly asked me, Dad, where am I going to get my ornaments? And I could tell from the way he asked the question and the expression on his face and the tone of his voice that he was asking me something a whole lot more profound than how to start a collection. He was really asking me, Dad, how is a life built? And I explained that we had collected our ornaments one at a time over a lot of years And I realized that, more than just a sentimental cultural diversion, the tree had become a visible expression of our life together. It had become a ritual of the story of us. In the telling and retelling of all the collected memories, we were describing who we were, what we were about, how one thing led to another, how it all fit together. We were giving names and dates to things I tell you that normally defy tangibility, things like love and meaning and relationship and even God, because expanding our awareness even just a little tiny bit, we remember that the story of us has its origins in God. The first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who gave us life and breath in the first place. Being creatures of flesh and blood we need tangible expressions for the meanings of things and our spiritual hungers. I suspect that's why most of you came to church tonight. Maybe you thought it was your spouse or your mother or your lover but let me give you a different take. You came to give tangible expression to your heart's deepest yearnings pertaining to love and meaning, relationships and God. Likely you did not think consciously of it like this, But maybe you will as you leave. I hope so. I really hope so. God knows well our limitations, our need for making sense of our being born and having to die, the glories as well as the failures of the time in between. That's why God took on frail flesh to walk among us, that's why the wonderful stories about Jesus' birth were collected, why his words were remembered and the details of his exploits, teachings, and death recounted. That's where our fixation on hope and love and joy and peace comes from at this time of year. Friends, here's what I think. We've gathered tonight to remember who we are. We've gathered to tell the story of ourselves. So we've dressed up the house, opened up our boxes of ornaments, and retold the old stories, and sung our old songs, and gathered up the extended family to share a meal. At the end, we'll light candles of remembrance, hope, and love to mark the night as a special occasion, to say in so many words, this is who we are. Boy, does it feel good to say that out loud. This is who we are. This is the story of us. This is how we've come to be. This is what we value and honor with the content of our lives. These are our sisters and brothers and our mothers and our fathers. And, ah, yes, Bethlehem's child is the source of it all. Isn't it good to be home in this space? And I say that to everyone, whether it's your first visit or your hundredth, because knowing who we are and whose we are gives us the hope and strength we will want in the year ahead, a year fraught with disruptive uncertainty. You feel that, don't you? This is why God came to dwell among us, that through the scrim of so many counterfeit distractions we might see the real abundant life for which we were created in the first place. Oh my, there are so many competing visions of what a life is for. But here tonight, around a humble manger, we boldly and gladly find our place, our home, among those who long for justice, who seek spiritual depth, who hunger for authentic and loving relationships and delight in beauty. So in joyful abandon, we'll join our voices with the angelic host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace, goodwill to all people. Alleluia.